Well, we just finished Christmas season, and it's okay if your lights are still up. Um, Taylor Swift said it's okay. If you don't get that, you can look it up. It's fine. But this is, our, this is the time of the Christmas season where we often, um, it's not as easy as we would like it to be. There's tons of pressures. There's tons of way, things that we um, feel, the weight that we feel during this time, whether it's just um, hard times we've been going through or there's things to be at every night. And sometimes the pressure is put on us to be there and sometimes we put it on ourselves, Right? There's, this could have been a season where the shift in longer days, you finally realized it does play a huge issue where we don't get as much light. And you felt it this year. Um, possibly, there's those you miss this holiday season that you wish could have been here and could have been with you. And there's the struggle, there's, there's hurt, there's hard times. But how dare we admit any of those problems, right? I mean, Pastor Ricky, a couple weeks ago, gave us the example of what Christmas is really all about, right? Our only problem is that we live in a small town and our small shop is failing, and we're beautiful. But a beautiful person's coming in town, and they have tons of money, um, and they'll make it all okay. But really, it wasn't an issue, because we're rich, right, (laughs) anyway, and so we could have fixed it up. Oh, but the plot doesn't matter. Love, right? That's, oh, it's so good. And, and that's it's kind of a ridiculous plot, but we love those because they kind of make us forget about our real problems. They make us forget that we don't really, there's over, when we put a decorative veneer over our lives, We get to kind of forget for a second or make sure that people don't recognize that we do have struggles. We do have hurts. And that's tough. But how many times do we actually not admit that? You know, Christmas was on Monday this week, so some of you may have gone back to work or at least um, even just walking in today, somebody said, hey, how was your Christmas? Or how many times have you been asked, like, hey, how are you doing? Or did your week go okay? What's our instant response? Our instant response usually is something like, it was fine. I'm good. Better than I deserve. (laughs) Right? Without thinking about a real answer or maybe answering in a way we hope doesn't cause someone to ask more questions. Maybe it's a way for us to put people at arm's length and not really see what's happening. What I hope we hear today and what I truly believe his word is saying to us is that socially pleasant Christianity is really not Christianity. And what I mean by that is giving this idea of everything's okay. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Somebody else has bigger problems. I'll be fine. That is not true Christianity. That's not what he calls us to. That's not who he is, and that's not how he 
comes to us. We need to begin removing that veneer, that decorative covering over our lives. I think he says this in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And if you're able, would you stand and hear his word this morning? Titus chapter 2, start in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of the loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, the same as trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the word of God, and it will never fail you. You may be seated. So I, I did a little research, and by that I mean I googled a bunch of things, um, on veneer, and I, I also asked my, my father-in-law who just kind of redid one of his tables in veneer. Um, I am not good with my hands, I have preacher hands, and so um, I rely on others. And I asked him, I said, hey, how did that go? Like, what was the process with that? And he said, honestly, it was pretty easy. Um, I put the veneer on top, and I said here it is. And he said, honestly, I don't know if anybody could really tell. He said, it was nice. I I was able to cover up all the bumps. I was able to cover up all the scratches. I was able to do all those things. And he said, it's a nice decorative layer on top of wood. He said, there's also this ability to sand and stain it over time and constantly give it an updated look. In essence, he said, you're hiding what's underneath. Now, I want to make sure, like, I started out rough um, against veneer. This isn't a sermon against veneer, so if you use veneer, it's okay. You have my permission, whether you need it or not. But don't, don't we put a veneer over our lives quite often? Where we say, 
let's just make it beautiful. Let's, let's make it look good. That way everybody thinks everything's okay. We try to cover up issues or hide ugly parts, and we desire for no one to see them. But that's really never gone well for the human race. All right, we start in with Adam and Eve. They sin in the garden. They recognize they're naked. They go and they try to hide and they cover themselves with fig leaves. And they do this because they're ashamed. They showed their lack of trust in God. They acted as if he was holding something back from them. We go on. We look at Abraham. He feared for his life twice where he decided to say, well, no, this, this lady that's with me, she's my sister. And it, at minimum, he put her in danger of possibly being defiled by the authority because he was scared for his life and didn't trust in God's promises that he had given to his family and to Abraham himself. David, he took advantage of one of his closest allies and friends by defiling his wife and then tried to cover it up and sent that man to the front lines to be killed because he was fearful that the appearance of who he was would be found out and the appearance of who he was wasn't what he wanted people to know. I think of myself for years of not letting anybody in real, real close so they wouldn't see what I thought were inadequacies, so they wouldn't think less of who I was. They saw just a little bit of struggle. This caused my friendships for a long time to be at arm's length. They only worked to make me feel lonelier and more inadequate and struggle more. Uh, this prevented me from running, walking, and sometimes even crawling with people and them with me. Deep down, my own insecurities were really what God thought about me. Well, what if I fail? Doesn't, isn't he disappointed? Doesn't he see me as less? Doesn't he frown at me? I thought the answer for him and for others was if I gave this decorative covering over my life, that people would think I was worthy. But sharing with others what is happening actually creates greater intimacy. It results in healing, life-giving relationships. Hiding what's underneath never really works, and it eats away at you, and it blocks you from deep connection with God and others. We know this to be true, but why do we still do it? One of our values as a church is transparency. Surprise. We defined it this way. We said we strive to be vulnerable rather than hiding behind pretensions. We chose this for so many reasons, but I think Titus 3, 3 through 5, say it well when it says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We were once foolish and we hated each other. But it says we've been washed by his work. It says we've been washed by his work, not our own. We have been covered by his righteousness, not our own made-up temporary covering. We don't need to hide what's underneath anymore. We're able to move forward in freedom because it truly reveals the beauty of grace that the gospel proclaims. There's a game that you guys have probably all played at one point in your life, hide and seek. Um, if you haven't, we can play after this, it's fine. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's you know, one person goes, everybody goes out, one person goes and tries to find everybody, it's great. What I find the most fun from being a dad is when I played with my kids when they didn't really understand the rules, right? And they're like, okay, oh, hide and seek. I'm like, great, one, two... Um, okay, 60. And you go to find them, but you hear them laughing. <laughs> you hear them giggling. You hear them rustling around in the cabinets, and you're like, oh, where are they at? But they are so innocent in that moment that they don't really understand the rules. You're supposed to be quiet. Don't let me know where you're at. Don't tell me where you're at. That's the rules. But they don't get it. It's so innocent. It's so fun. Just to sit there and pretend like you have no idea. But we grow up and hide and seek isn't so innocent anymore. It's where we really decide to hide our struggles and kind of hope nobody finds them. This is where, in hide-and-seek, the beauty of grace is revealed in the gospel because Paul describes God's demeanor towards us when our sins are revealed. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. He gave himself to redeem you. Even when he knew. He gave himself to purify you even while he knows now. He gave himself to save you in the midst of all that. Those words wash over you this morning. He sees us without all the decorative coverings and says, come in. No need to hide anymore. Unlike Abraham, 
We don't have to fear for our lives because he gave up his life so that we might have life. Unlike Adam and Eve, we don't have to doubt that he's holding something back. He gave himself. Unlike David, we don't have to fear that our sins will be found out. He knew them and saw the authentic us, welcomed us in, and covered us with his righteousness. Unlike me, unlike myself, we don't have to be insecure about him seeing our struggles and our faults. He sees them and is purifying us for himself. This message truly does reveal the beauty of grace to those around us. It shouts out to others that the decorative, temporary coverings they have over themselves, that's not really what it's about. The life-giving prize is actually his blessing, his covering, his welcoming us in, even though we are covered in bumps and scratches, rings left from condensation, we're weather-beat, we're beaten down, and yet he is making us new. There's an old tradition, I don't know if you guys know this, but in hide-and-seek where if someone yells out a certain phrase, everybody can come out with no penalty. That phrase is ollie ollie oxen free. It is this idea that everyone's able to come out of hiding, or in other words, when those words are belted out, all who are still hiding can come in with no penalty. And there's a song that somebody made about this, and it says this. Pick a corner in the dark, the better, so no one knows. Run away so the light doesn't catch you, and you get exposed. All alone, and you're tired of waiting, but no one comes around. In the darkness, you've been suffocating. You're just waiting to be found. It says, come out, come out, wherever you are, wherever you are. Come out, come out. You're never too far. If you're playing hide and seek, ollie ollie oxen free. Child, you can be redeemed. Ollie, ollie oxen free. Weary sinner, come to me. Ollie, ollie oxen free. It says, if you are outside, you can come in with no penalty, for he's paid the penalty, revealing the beauty of grace to you and to others. Because we are holding tight as we envision the beauty of glory to come. Titus 2.13 said, We're waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And Titus 3.7 continued where it said, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This promise, this blessed hope, this becoming heirs of the kingdom and this hope of eternal life begins to paint a wonderful picture of the freedom we find in him. This is not because our own covering, but because of his covering us through his son. Now, as beautiful as this sounds, and as wonderful as this reality truly is, where one day all things will be, will be made right, 
We are honest when we say it doesn't always feel that way. But again, I want you to remember, socially pleasant Christianity is no Christianity at all. Only through truly recognizing our state, sharing that with others, sharing that with him, confessing our sins to each other and confessing our sins to him, do we find true freedom. Because we're met with grace and mercy and steadfastness. I don't know if you guys know, but during writing The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, um, not known for his allegory, Tolkien wrote a short story, and it's called Leaf by Niggle. It's a great, great story. I would suggest highly reading it um, when you go home today. But a snapshot of it is where it's, it's Niggle, he's an artist, and more like a starving artist. It's really not cool to be an artist in his part of town. And his, his main occupation, the main idea is he sees, he's envisioning this great tree that he wants to paint. But he's really meticulous, and he's spending tons of times on this leaf, or the, these certain leaves, because he wants them to be just right. He's got this perfect picture. But the, the painting begins to grow around this tree and around this leaf, and a little bit here, a little bit there. And he hopes to draw everything in perfect detail, but soon he gets distracted by the birds and the trees and the hills visible through the branches. And so it just keeps growing and taking up all of his time, but never really finishing. He takes time from his work, because of politeness, to aid his neighbor. This is a gardener named Parrish who had a lame leg and has a sick wife. And in the process of going to town to get the doctor, Niggle gets sick. Well, Niggle knew that he was supposed to take a trip pretty soon. Um, everyone takes this trip, but he just didn't know when it was coming. Well, he's sick, and somebody comes to the door and says, hey, it's time to go. He's a little ill-prepared. His painting wasn't done. He hadn't um, got over his sickness. But he ends up being in this workhouse infirmary where he has to labor each day. Again, everyone has to do this. He eventually gets promoted, in a way, and sent to be a gardener in a country. And he realizes that he is, in fact, working in the forest of his own painting. And the tree is there. It's better than he ever imagined. It's not flawed. Doesn't, the leaves are exactly like he would have thought, but somehow brighter. In this area, Niggle is actually reunited with Parrish, his neighbor, and together they make the forest even more beautiful by working the ground together. Parrish decides to stay back a little bit, um, but the shepherd comes down from the mountains and says, Niggle, it's time to go. And Niggle begins traveling to the far reaches of the forest, to places he only dreamed of on his canvas. 
Now, Tolkien is almost telling a story of purgatory, which we know is not true, but the lessons here are so important. We all know the feeling of not being able to have things just perfect, no matter the amount of time we spend on them. We also know the struggles of interruptions that we think, do I really have to spend time with this person? Like, I got other priorities that are more important. But if I tell somebody this, it's going to slow them down. I can't do that. Often, we envision a life and it doesn't actually come to fruition the way we thought it would. Niggle is a story, the leaf by niggle is a story that shows us in in glory, our vision of greatness is nothing compared to what is to come. The leaves are more beautiful. The forest holds more than we could ever imagine. The mountains are more glorious than our eyes have ever seen. The real glimpses of glory that Nigel got throughout his life were in those relationships they sometimes saw as inconveniences. Are we missing out of those glimpses by hiding what's underneath? Are we not revealing the beauty of grace to people who need to see the grace that God has offered us and to them? Three things I would suggest. To the believer who desires to have greater intimacy with God and with others, be the first to rip off the decorative covering and share with others what's actually happening. Do that in your small groups. Do that with trusted individuals. Do that with each other. And encourage others to share after you've taken the first step. And to the believer who's hesitant, I get it. (laughs) Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe... You're hesitant because you've actually never done that and you're not sure what that's going to look like. Remember Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy and true and I want you to insist on these sayings so those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is why he came. He revealed himself to us knowing exactly who we were. We weren't hiding anything from him at all. We were in the cupboard like a little kid, giggling, crying, moving around. He knew exactly where you were. And yet he still came. He called you to himself. Do that with someone else. Because he came so you don't have to hide. He came so you don't have to fear. He came so you don't have to cover up. He came so you don't have to be insecure anymore. He smiles upon you. He loves you. Lastly, to anyone who's an unbeliever who is not sure if these things can be true, how would it feel if it was true? How would it feel if you were welcomed in exactly how you were, exactly how you are, with no penalty? 
How would it feel if you could be sure that the best you could ever envision is nothing compared to the beauty of glory that he offers? The good news, it's true. It's right. It's offered to you and it's been to all of us. That song didn't finish there. It ends this way. It says, now the shepherd, he's coming to find you. He's calling out. Leave your past and your burdens behind you. Can you hear him shout? Oh, I can hear him shout. If you're playing hide and seek, ollie, ollie oxen free. Child, you can be redeemed, ollie, ollie oxen free. Weary, weary sinner, come to me. Ollie, ollie oxen free. He calls to the believer who desires it. He calls to the believer who's hesitant. And he calls to the unbeliever, come to me freely with no penalty. You are my son and daughter because I have covered you with my righteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning... Is a day where oftentimes we're nervous about what is to come. We're nervous about work and we're nervous about things happening outside of our control. Would you show us you welcome us in, you cover us, you hold us tight. You whisper in our ears, I love you. You tell us you care. Would your beauty of grace and your beauty of glory that is true and is right and is offered to all of us, would it wash over us anew this morning? Allow us to be ready to understand that you welcomed us in knowing exactly what we have done and what we're going to do. And you've cried out, Ollie, Ollie, oxen free. I praise your name.